Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please note, this episode contains some emotional content, including discussion around suicide, and may not be suitable for all listeners. I think I'm a bit scared, I'm a bit worried about what they're going to tell me. In what sense? I'm worried that my mum had this kind of whole other life that I didn't know about. Hello and welcome to How Did We Get Here, the podcast where me, Claudia Winkleman, and my fantastic and brilliant friend, clinical psychologist, Professor Tanya Byron, look at some of the challenges people are facing, either themselves or with their families. Tani talks to people in one-to-one sessions whilst I'm listening in from another room. In the break and at the end, I asked Tan a bit about her process and we explore the issues that are raised. This time, we meet Simran, whose mother took her own life eight years ago. Simran had no inclination that her mother was unhappy and still doesn't fully understand what happened. We just had a great time together. And that's it. That was the last time I saw her. No clue. Absolutely no idea. What you're about to hear are the key parts of a one-time unscripted session with a real person. We follow up with our guests after the recording, passing on links and contacts, some of which you will find in the programme notes of this episode. Let's go and meet Simran. Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you? Thank you so much for coming here. I just got to tell anyone who's listening that if they hear weird noises, it's because of these sofas. Yes. It's not you and I squeaking. Let me ask you, why are you here? When Mum passed away, I kind of put it to the back of my mind and didn't really deal with it very well. And recently, I've been thinking about Mum a lot more. When Mum comes to the forefront of my mind, how do I deal with it? I'm in a meeting and then all of a sudden someone smells like my mum and I think, oh God. It's coming. Yeah, yeah. And then I think, oh, I'm going to cry and then I'll freeze and so it's things like that kind of techniques as to you're going to have to handle it somehow. If I may ask, how long ago did she pass away? It was like eight years ago. Are there people that you can talk to about it that helps? Yeah, so um, my auntie, who is just fantastic, my auntie Cam, Tom, my partner, and also my best mate, Hattie. Yeah, and what about um, your dad and siblings? Uh, no, my brother... We've got a very jokey relationship. We'll have a laugh, but we won't really talk about anything particularly seriously. I just don't feel comfortable speaking to my dad about it because we don't really have that type of relationship. It's very transactional, our relationship. I love him. I love him so much. And he loves me. It's very much, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? So the person you were closest to then? Mum. And that must be so hard. Well, you've come to the right place. Thank you so much for coming. I will bring the brilliant professor in and I hope we can be helpful. It feels like a feels like a millstone, really. It feels like it's something that weighs heavily on you still. Definitely. 
day-to-day, but also massive milestones as well. So Tom and I bought a house nine months ago. She's not here to see it. Yeah, however lovely that was. And it was a massive accomplishment and she just wasn't there. So when Mum passed away, I was in my first year of uni. Did she not think... You know, and, that, and then I get become quite angry. Yeah, so I'm I still see really that. frustrated. Yeah, I see. You're you're angry with her. Yeah. Mm. Claudia is brilliant at interviewing people, but Claudia didn't ask you how your mother passed away, mm. and it's because there's a story. Yeah. And I think she sensed the story is so big. Yeah. That maybe she wanted to leave me to ask you to tell me the story. Okay. So. Mum committed suicide in the garage at home. I don't know what she used. I don't know what time it was. I'm just not too sure. But it was in March in 2012. Like I said, I was at uni at the time. It was Easter holidays and I was planning to come home. And I started a job that day. I was expecting her to call to ask, how, how's your day been? Mm. And she didn't call. And then got to the end of the day, still nothing. Then I started worrying and panicking. Called Dad. Dad was like, I'll find out where she is, Okay. Then I called my brother and I remember my brother saying, it is a bit weird, but why are you freaking out? I never believe people when they say, oh, I just had a feeling. But I had a, I genuinely, I had this overwhelming feeling of, oh, crap, something has happened. Mm. So then I called called my auntie, Ruksha. She said, um, oh, that's strange. I haven't heard from your mum either today. I said to Ruksha, would you mind passing our house? She went round, looked at the house. Curtains were all open, no lights were on. Mum's mini was on the drive. Where was your dad? Dad was working in Leeds. OK, so he was away. So he works away Right, OK. And I was home alone in Brighton, that's where I went to uni, and just stayed awake for the whole night. Throughout the whole night, I'd watched Freaky Friday with Lindsay Lohan Mm. because that was the only film I had downloaded on my laptop. And me and Mum used to watch it all the time together. Anyway, half seven comes in the morning and it's Dad and he's like, right, your Auntie Cam and your Auntie Ruksha are outside now. You need to come home. And I remember asking, where's Mum? And he said, you'll find out when you get home. So my auntie's turned up at about half seven in the morning and I opened the door and I remember just saying, can you just tell me what's happened to mum? And my auntie Ruksha went to the loo and I looked at my auntie Cam, dead, like straight in the eye, and I said, she's not dead, is she? And when Cam didn't say anything back to me, I punched a door which is so this is just so unlike me I scratched myself I was throwing things and I remember just sobbing just crying and crying and crying and I remember leaving a tissue on my bed and thinking when I get back I'm gonna have to I need this tissue because I will be distraught it was my friend's birthday in these holidays and I'd bought a dress and heels for this specific birthday party and I remember thinking I need to pack that because I just was denying it I just didn't want to believe that that was happening well you you were both denying it and accepting it it's it was a it's a very weird sort of cognitive space to be in isn't it because on the one hand you're looking at the tissue 
because you recognise you're going to cry and cry and you need comfort. Mm. And then on the other hand, you're thinking, oh, I better pack the dress and heels because I'm going to go to the party. So that's the mind sliding between it's happened. No, it absolutely hasn't happened. You're in shock. That's Mm. shock, right? Where the brain Mm. is trying to catch up with reality and is spinning around this kind of axis of complete unwillingness Mm. to accept what has Mm. happened. You lost your most significant other, Mm. didn't you? Mm. You lost... Oh, darling, let me give you... Here's some tissues. Please, can I give you a tissue? These are to comfort you as well. Thank you. There we are. Thank you. There you go. I'm upset because I still feel like that. Oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine, you know. And then other times I feel, oh, my God, I cannot believe that that happened to me. Just here, talking about it, going over the story again... It feels like I read it in a book. Mm. It was eight years ago. I feel like I'm back at square one sometimes. You're right, you're stuck. You're completely stuck. I think our task is to work out how you can unstick yourself Mm. so that you can do what feels to me like the next piece of the processing Mm -hmm. in order to be able to learn to live differently with probably the most tragic experience you'll ever have in your life. Mm. I get a sense that your way of keeping going has been to be very goal-orientated oh, and yeah, solution. definitely. Am I right? Yes, definitely. Oh, tell me a bit about that. I've always had a goal. When Mum passed away, the goal was then graduate, at least with the 2-1, and I did it. Okay. Congratulations. Next. Thank you very much. Next, get a job. Got a job. But that wasn't enough. So then I thought, right, what can I do? I'm going to go and climb a mountain for charity. Wow. It was a couple of months after I went to India for six months with my grandparents and taught English in this little village because I thought that's another goal. Right, another tick box. Right, next, get into a relationship. Tom just so happened to come into my life. Then we, you know, got together. Right, next goal. And then it's just all, just goal, 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 goal. So you're always moving. Your mind is always busy, focused. And what happens Mm. when you have a moment when you stop? Um, I get very, very low. Right. And what do you think that tells us a little bit about that sort of quite fast-moving, goal-focused, solution-focused, tick-box approach Mm. Mm. to dealing with pain? distracting myself from Mm. the pain aren't I you're absolutely right it's a way Mm. of avoiding pain yeah and the thing I I think I know that Mm. but it doesn't it doesn't stop me from doing it I think because you're scared Mm. what are you afraid of for myself I'm worried that if I get that that low and that sad I'm worried that I'm going to do it that you'll become so low yeah. and you'll feel so desperate mm. that the only solution then wouldn't be to climb a mountain anymore. No. It would be to end your own life. Yeah. That's terrifying for you. It is, yeah. But I'm also afraid that Tom will do it. You know, not just Tom, but re- like everyone who's close to me. I constantly feel, oh, they haven't texted back. I wonder where they are. You've got two issues going on here. You've got the fact you lost your mum when you were young. And the the other issue for you is that your mother's death was preventable in the sense that if someone had known or if she had asked for some support, she could still be alive. Mm. 
So why do you believe that if you were to really look at all of that and try and process it emotionally in a way that would be helpful for you, either you would take your own life or someone close to you would, I wonder whether it's because at some level you hold a sense of responsibility for what happened to your mum, that you feel Mm. somehow Mm. maybe Mm. you could have Mm. done something or said something Mm. And she wouldn't have taken her life. So somewhere in all of this, you blame Mm. yourself. I do feel that. But as quickly as that thought comes into my mind, the rational side of me then thinks, well, no, you couldn't, Sim, because she was a grown-up and she was very intelligent. and, And then I start thinking, and who do you think you are, Sim? Who do you think you are? that you could save someone's life. No. No. That would never happen. But were you and your mum close? Yeah, really close. Did you speak often? Yeah, every day. Did you tell her your thoughts and feelings? Yeah. And did she tell you hers? I thought she did. Right, well, that's the point, mm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. It's not that you would have run into the garage at the time of her doing it and saved her. That's mm. not what I mean. I mean... I wonder whether it's left you feeling utterly devastated Mm. that she didn't tell you Mm. how she was feeling. Mm. Do you replay in Mm. your mind the last time you saw her? Yeah, all the time. And and can you you tell me a bit about that? How was that? Yeah, it was lovely. So it was my birthday, which is in February, so it was about a month before Mum passed away, Mm. and she came down to Brighton... I remember she was wearing this these sparkly sequin leggings and knee-high black boots. She just looked great. She sounds awesome. She's so glam. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good image to yeah, hold in your did mind. Her, yeah. You're smiling yeah, and smiling yeah. now, even and though you did her makeup. And, uh, you did her makeup? I did her makeup for her and I did her hair for her. And we went out, had some drinks, had some nice dinner... Um, talked about my housemates. Were you proud to be out with her, with yeah. her looking like that and just oh, being yeah. so cool? Yeah, yeah. So she only came up for a night. And I remember the next day taking her to the train, like walking her to the train station. We would have hugged, but I just can't remember how that feels. I just can't remember, which I'm quite upset about. And then I remember walking home and it was really sunny and just getting back and thinking, oh, I just love that woman so much. We just had a great time together. And that's it. That was the last time I saw her. No clue. Absolutely no idea. Do you think it was impulsive or do you think she planned it? Planned it. Completely planned it. Why do you say that? When Mum passed away, we all came back to Birmingham, all congregated at the house and in the Sikh culture, all family congregate at the person who's passed away, their home. And everything apart from mine and my brother's room had just been redecorated and she'd just put pictures of everywhere of all the family. Who knows what was going on in her mind? Who knows? But I think that she wanted the people that were going to come to the house to see their faces on the wall and say, oh... They were important. Yeah. She'd kind of done her her sort of mother touch on that and also she was leaving an environment for you full of reminders of who you had. Mm. She didn't want you to feel alone, which I presume she might have somehow felt in herself. Mm. 
She did feel lonely. How do you know that? She wrote a note to me and she wrote a note to my brother and I think she wrote a note to my dad. What did she say to you? If you don't mind sharing, you don't have to. It is personal. No, she said something along the lines of, I felt lonely for a long time. More or less, I've done what I've come here to do. I'm really proud of you. You keep doing what you're doing. I love you. Lean on your brother. Make sure you're there for him. The end. And you can tell by my tone, I'm pissed off. Yeah, you're very pissed off. Tell me about that How anger. dare she think that she's done... Every, like, what? I I was 20. What are you doing? What do you mean, be there for my brother? Lean on your brother? Like, no. I need to lean on you. Yeah. You're my mum. What, what are you playing at? Yeah. And that's a difficult feeling, isn't it? Because you adore her... Mm. And you miss her, Mm. but you're so angry with her. Yeah. Okay, I just want to pause because I'd really like to ask, can you somehow transform the anger into, I don't mean this in a patronising way, into sympathy? Can she feel bad for her mum, that her mum had to make that choice, rather than angry with her? It's not a choice that I would ever want to say is one that I would support, Of course not. My training, my job is to enable people to live well despite whatever they are dealing with and and the impact on their mental health. I think, yes, it is possible. Yeah, you feel compassion and sadness that the person that you love chose to do that because it's tragic. I mean, it's It's beyond tragic. tragic. But in order to get there, you've got to be given permission to process your anger. And she's so angry understandably so livid but is when she got into what was she thinking Mm. i'm right here Mm. okay let's return to your chat i'm sorry for interrupting off you go is there a lack of information in that letter as well has that letter left you frustrated yes i wanted an answer a definitive answer to to why she did it and i also wonder whether the the concept of loneliness is difficult for you her daughter so I wonder whether it might have also left you feeling that even you weren't enough to live for. You're nodding, mm. but you look really cross. Anger is a really, really common emotion following a bereavement mm. and then hugely amplified following a bereavement by a suicide I think it's the anger that terrifies you Mm. what do you feel about feeling angry with her I feel embarrassed why why do you feel embarrassed it was eight years ago and I feel like come on Sim if it's not going to happen now when am I going to feel better I can't tell you in my 30 years of clinical practice how often I've met people Mm. like you Mm. eight years ten years fifteen years thirty years who say the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm saying that is because I first of all want to normalise your experience and secondly tell you that it's got a name and it's called complex prolonged grief. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. it's a recognised presentation, if you like, mm-hmm. of people who have been bereaved but just feel stuck It's complex because it isn't just loss of a mother when you were young, but it's loss of a mother via her taking her own life. So Mm. it's the layers of complexity. 
you lose your mum in the way that you did, you feel sad, but you feel so angry. Because unlike if she'd had an illness, this didn't have to happen. That's how you would... So you are completely stuck with these complex layers of conflicting feelings. That makes you normal. So the question is, what happens next? I want to ask you a question. How much do you understand about actually what happened? My sense is you don't really get it. You don't really understand much of the detail of who found her, how she was found, all of that. That's not really been talked about. No one's telling you anything. No. So there's a lot that you don't understand. Mm. Maybe they're protecting me from something. I don't really want to bring it up with them because I don't want to upset them. It's really crashed through your sense of people's resilience, hasn't it? Because you really thought your mum was resilient and I think now you just feel like everything is that fragile. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I think there's there's two things I would say. Number one is, I think you need a more complete picture, but I need to help you think about how you would get that. Mm. And the second thing is, I think today, before you leave, you and I have to work out what you need to do to be able to accept that your mother has died mm. and she died by taking her own life. Mm. Because I don't feel you've accepted that yet. Yeah. Because I don't think you want to, and I totally understand. Tell me what you're thinking. You're sort of, I'm not sure you're sure about this. I think I'm a bit scared, I'm a bit worried about what they're going to tell me. In what sense? I'm worried that my mum had this kind of whole other life that I didn't know about. She may have, who knows? I mean, she may have, she may not have. Mm. But whatever you hear, Mm. why would that have anything to do with the love that you know your mother felt for you? She loved you, but there was something in her mm. that made her decide that she she couldn't live anymore. Mm. And it wasn't really about you. Mm. How about we take a break? Okay. There are two things I think that I think would be helpful for you to do. One is I think if you were to ask the questions to your dad, to your aunties, to mm. the police, you mm. know, if you wanted to see the report, coroner's report if you you know all of that stuff Mm. see if you can write out what all those questions are and then I think the second thing I'd like you just to think about and write down is in order to get to a place where you can live with the reality of how and when your mum died Mm. not to say you won't feel sad about it for the rest of your life but you won't feel emotionally exhausted and Mm. absolutely annihilated by it as you still do yeah what do you think needs to happen? Oh, that's going to be tricky. Absolutely. It might, you might not be able to answer that then. Mm. That's my job, but... Okay. 
I'll give it a go. I want to talk to you about complex prolonged grief. Mm. Persistent, complex, prolonged. I mean, there's different ways that it's described. It's about grief that doesn't find a way towards resolution and acceptance, which is, is a very bizarre thing to say because you lose someone you love very much this notion of acceptance feels completely perverse yeah, because... Like it's never going to be fine. It's never going to be fine, but it's going to be something that you can live with. A sad autobiographical memory. There'll be moments, anniversaries, birthdays, you know, where the loss of that person, the absence of that person at that time will be really sad, potentially overwhelming. But then life carries on and the memories of that person are predominantly around the good times, the fun times, or, or if the relationship was good. So for people who present with complex and this sort of persistent, prolonged grief, it's where you can see that they are just stuck and they can't move past these very early grief reactions, shock, numbness, anger, despair. She was saying somebody something will come up at a meeting and she'll feel like she wants to cry. It almost sounded like, and I've got no idea, or not PTSD, but I don't know how else to describe it. No, you're it. correct. You're but, correct. like, she's still right there, like somebody's just told her what's happened. That response is just an automatic, reflexive trauma response to whatever it is that she's hearing in that meeting. It's just something that triggers the, the pain and the memory. There is the need for some trauma-informed grief work um, for Sim to help her move it from these sort of trauma areas of her brain into autobiographical memory areas where it's a memory she can live with. At the moment, it's a memory she can't live with. What is so extraordinary when you listen to Sim is that there are so many gaps. My concern for Sim is if she continues to not try and at least understand a bit more, she's not going to be able to then do the work with support to move into a place of acceptance. If there is something to know, it would be helpful for her yeah. because more context, more information, more knowledge enables a greater sense of empowerment over how you manage that memory. Thank you so much. We'll get her in. You're such an articulate, intelligent woman. Why haven't you asked? So I don't want to bring up everything that happened eight years ago because it's upsetting for me to think about what happened, to talk about what happened. So why wouldn't it be upsetting for mum's best mates? Why wouldn't it be upsetting for my dad? What's wrong with getting upset? Mm, there's nothing wrong with getting upset. What do you link getting I... upset to? I feel like I should have an answer and I don't. You're worried that if you ask the questions and people get upset that there is a heightened risk that they'll take their yeah. own life? Yeah. And that also that you might do the same? Yes. I suppose one of the things I'm aware of with your mum 
she didn't mm. tell anyone, as mm. far as you know. Mm. So actually, the reality of talking is that it reduces your risk of depression and potentially thinking about taking your own life rather than increases it. What are you thinking? I'm just worried about what people are going to say. Yeah, I think that's that's actually what the issue is. What are you worried about? So if I ask the question, right, so can you give me kind of a broader picture as to what happened when you arrived at the house? What did you see, Mum? And if you did, what did she look like? And then I'm worried about the answer and then that's going to add to my grief and my upset. But I'd put money on the fact you've already got that image in your head. Yeah, I do. Do you want to know from the perspective of if it's kind of gruesome, gory, horrible, just tragic, difficult stuff, do you want to know it? Mm. You have a choice whether to ask questions or not, but Mm. you also have a choice about the questions you do ask. Mm. Mm. So when you ask a question, you could say, okay, there are things I feel I need to know because it's the only way I can move on with my grief. But there are some things I don't want to know. So I want to just tell you what I don't want to know. I'm not interested in what she looked like. I'm not interested in... Yeah. My gut feeling is what you want to know is, did anybody really know why? Mm. And maybe there is a backstory. Maybe she's asked her confidence not to tell her family. Who knows? But at least knowing that, is more than you know now. Mm, All of a sudden feel very overwhelmed by it. Well, let's use a list then. Lists are good when we feel overwhelmed, aren't they? Because I see you've written a list there. Tell me what your list is then. Let's have a look. My two closest aunts, I would like to ask them, when was the last time you saw her? You know, was anything just a little bit off? Like, I really would like to know that. But then I... But then I what? What did you stop yourself just saying? I can't remember giving my mum a hug. So if my auntie can't remember giving my mum a hug, then I don't want them to get upset about it. I don't think there's any way that you can ask questions about this tragic event without people being upset. Mm. This sounds like a really heartless question, but you'll get my point. What's Mm. wrong with having a conversation Mm. and being upset? What's wrong with that? What's the risk? I just don't. I don't want to cause upset. But then I also don't want for them to be thinking, oh, God, I wonder why Sim has brought that up now, eight years, nine years down the road. And then they worry about me because I I worry about everyone and I don't want them to worry about me. No, I know, but I think you worry about everyone because of how you lost your mum. I think worry Mm. for you, it's just your way of trying to retain some sense of control. Mm. If I keep thinking about everything, then nothing bad will happen. Mm. It's a funny superstitious way we can all have to Mm. manage risk and reality. But it's interesting, isn't it, when you're saying if you choose to have these conversations as you prepare to have them, you presumably would think about explaining to them why you feel you need to have it you now recognise you've got something called complex, persistent grief, Mm -hmm. prolonged grief. Mm -hmm. Your life is good, but Mm. there is just an emotional triggering that you still get about your mum and how she died that you recognise probably eight years on isn't healthy Mm. in the sense that 
it's emotionally exhausting you, as you've said, mm. and that you've had some consultation and it's been suggested that actually what you really need to be able to do is find out a little bit more mm. and that's why you're doing it. Putting it like that, I think that would that would help, wouldn't it? It would help, yes. It may be that the f- your first communication about this is you write to them. You you mm. you write a card and say, look, I decided to write this because I wanted to give you time to think about it. I didn't just want to sort of mm. doorstep you with mm. this, yeah? Mm. yeah? Or maybe, talking to your therapist, you might say, I think I'd like to have a session and invite my aunt or my aunts mm. so that we could have a few sessions with you just supporting us to have what I think is going to be a very difficult okay. conversation. I've done that a lot with people I work with. Okay. Mm. If they were sitting here now and they could hear you saying, but I don't want to ask them because I don't want to upset them, what would they say? Would they say, oh, thank you so much. Please don't ask us. We really don't want to help you with your sadness and grief because we just don't want to be upset. Mm. So cheers, love. Yeah, let's have a cup of tea. Would they say that? No, they wouldn't. What would they say? I think they would say, what do you want to know? Do you think that they might be... Relieved that you're asking. Another reason I don't want to ask is because I don't want to put them in a position where they're... um, They might betray her confidence. yeah. I think that's incredibly sensitive of you. And I think that would be amazing if you... That was one of your context setting. Mm. Um, Guidelines say, look, I appreciate there might be things you know that you promised mum you would only ever know. Mm. So... I can live with that. Yeah. I don't want you to betray my mother's confidence. Mm. But at least if I know there is there is something that sits behind this, it doesn't feel so meaningless. I think it's something about that for you. It's something about the meaning of the event that you just cannot understand. Mm. Mm. I don't want to persuade you to have this conversation. Okay. I I just wanted to work with you a little bit around why you're avoiding it and I think we understand it's anxiety fueled and actually when we started to unpick those reasons none of them were really logical yeah you're right and I think in terms of techniques if you're in a meeting or you're feeling overwhelmed you can you know for example mindfulness based therapy or doing mindfulness is, is a very useful exercise just so that as the emotion comes up you can kind of you can feel okay settling it. Mm. So mm. I would like look at Headspace or Calm well, or one yeah, of those yeah. apps and really practice that. Yeah. Okay. My question to you then sits around this second point I asked you to think about, which is acceptance. Because something does have to change for you. I'm worried. I'm worried. What are you worried about? Because if I don't know how to deal with the, how I'm feeling now, how am I going to deal with um, how to accept what happened? You need support just to kind of unpick all this. It needs to be someone who understands trauma. Mm. Any reminders, maybe you're watching something on telly or in a meeting. Yeah. 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 So that's trauma. So what we know is that trauma memories, they're kind of located in one area of the limbic system, the emotion, areas around emotion and memory in the brain fundamentally. Yeah in an area called the amygdala. And and trauma therapy is about actually moving mm. those memories from a trauma storage area right. to an autobiographical storage area. 
but it's not going to be triggered in the way that you are so randomly triggered because it's not going to be a trauma anymore. You have accepted the reality of it rather than at the moment you're still living in a heightened sense of hypervigilance and fear Mm. to the point that even having a conversation potentially about getting a bit more details Mm. so that Mm. you can sort of settle things a bit in your mind, you're even vigilant around that causing such despair to the people that you love who are living that they might take them at their own Mm. lives. So it just shows how Mm. traumatised you are. Mm. Um, You hit the nail on the head when you said, uh, I'm still triggered by it. Yeah, totally. um, I'll be watching something on telly and I'll be really enjoying it. And then there's a storyline about suicide and I think, you know what? I'm not going to watch that. One of my recent Times columns, I write for the Times every every week, right? I write a column and the column is people write to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a mental health issue or whatever, and, and I answer it in the column. Okay. Mm. And I sent Claude an article I wrote a month ago mm. that was sent to me by a woman who was watching normal people, mm. was so triggered by that storyline because her father had taken his own life. So it's not just me. It's not just you. I think I'm getting upset. Because I genuinely thought it was just me. No, sweetheart, it's not just you. It's trauma, darling. (laughs) Oh, sweet, I can't even hug you. But I am here. (laughs) Sorry, can I just open it? Yes, darling. okay? Sorry. Do you want me to leave the room? No, no. no. Do you want to leave the room? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, is that okay? Please don't okay? apologise. You, you, you take a walk and I will stay sitting here. I'm so sorry. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Sorry. That was so brave, what you just did. You're so brave. And you're okay. Feel very overwhelmed all of a sudden. I don't know. I think you feel really sad. Yeah, that's Actually, okay. Yeah, I do feel quite sad. Yeah, but I think what triggered you there, quite appropriately, was that you had validation for all of this. It's not just you. It is so painful. Mm. It is so survivable. Mm. And now you're properly feeling. And you're not anxious now, are you? You you feel much more relaxed. Why do you think that is? Because it's not just me who has ever felt like this. And I think I needed to hear that. You're not alone in terms of the experiences that you have following Mm. the death of your mum. And you're not alone with the fear of those feelings. Mm. because that's how we often manage experiences and feelings that are so dark the only way we can deal with them is just to not look at them Mm. but the problem is they keep banging on the bloody door so my advice to you would be 
with regular sessions with a trauma-informed therapist Mm. who can also include your aunts in those sessions Mm. as and when you feel the time is right. Mm. Because this is a family conversation as much as a conversation for you. Mm. Those moments of being randomly triggered will eventually stop because you're placing the focus on these feelings in a context where you can then actually work out how you can learn to live with them. And Mm -hmm. you haven't broken. You Mm. were just overwhelmed. Mm. You Mm. left the room. You had a cry. Mm. You're okay. Mm. And I think Mm. something else has fallen into place for you. You're resilient. If your mum was here now, what Mm. would you want to say to her? Didn't you love me? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. What do you think she would say? I think she'd say, I do love you, but it wasn't about you. (laughs) It wasn't about you. I think you're right. Mm. I only think that now because of our conversation. If you were to ask me yesterday the same question, I have no idea what my answer would be. It was something for her (laughs) that you don't understand and that's why you're stuck. What needs to happen now, do you think, moving forward? What I want to happen is I'd like to write a note to my aunts and potentially my dad. But tell me about that note. What do you think you're going to say? I think I need a broader picture of what happened. But just any, like anything that you can tell me would be a great help because I would like some more clarity. Sounds good. I feel like you're now going to move on. I feel a lot lighter. Yeah. You're completely relaxed. Uh, yeah. And you're smiling. I'm smiling because I didn't think I would feel like this. So quickly. So thank you. What would you say your story is now? My mum passed away and it was really tragic. And it's really painful to talk about it. And I don't know everything about it. I will find out as much as I can. And I will be able to live with that. Brilliant. Yeah. We wish you all the love and luck in the world. I hope that was the right answer. Of course it was. That's how I genuinely feel. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, I really, really appreciate it. Let's talk about Sim. She's on a she's on a path. I mean, I'm not saying that it's going to be easy because what happened to her was tragic. Yeah. I'm so pleased she came and I think she's on her way. Do you feel like that? I think the reality is I think she knew what she needed to do. I think she knew she needed to have more conversations and understand better. Uh, I think she just needed a space where she could be helped to give herself permission to do that. Yeah. Fear is what stops us doing what 
mostly we all know we need to do next. I always say this to you, Claude, I don't see my job as some great oracle with the sort of, you know, the, <laughs> the holy grail of life and how you live it. I really feel it's about being able to listen and help people unpick the anxiety that often sits around the difficulty that they themselves have with doing whatever needs to happen next in terms of how they feel and their mental health and their well-being. As a clinical psychologist, as a therapist, it's about facilitating the next step in a process of change when people feel confused, feel lost or feel stuck. I feel like she is empowered now to go and get some help and to start the journey. Is that wrong? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the point is, how can we in our lives learn to live with unexpected tragedy that could push our life down a different road, mm. but nevertheless, we're still standing? How do we learn to live with that reality? And the truth is, she'll only learn to live with the reality when she allows herself to think about everything around that experience and it can stop being a trauma that leaps up and grabs her by the throat and a memory that she's processed and she can talk about and live with. You're brilliant. Thank you. I love doing this. Right, let's go have a cup of tea. Come on. <laughs> Just a quick note, if you subscribe to this, wherever you get your podcasts, you will receive free new episodes as soon as they come out. And please do rate, comment and share this with friends and family. We'd love you to spread the word. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in this episode, please see our programme notes for information about further support and advice. And if you're interested in taking part in future episodes of How Did We Get Here, please email briefly describing your issue to how at somethingelse.com. That's how at somethingelse.com without the G. Next time, we meet Jodie. I did feel awful for my husband at the time, but I, I don't think I felt guilty enough. This podcast was made by the team at Something Else. The sound and mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer is Grace Laker. The producer is Selena Ream. And the executive producer is Chris Skinner, with additional production from Steve Ackerman. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>